Alright, I think we got it going. Hey, Scoopy Doopy, where'd my black device go? I feel like you don't care. Huh? But we gotta go. What is happening? Bye, kitty. Bye, kitty. Alunia Sierra came back today. <coughs> SOS to the world. <coughs> Hold on, let's grab this 20 just in case. I need some more 20s. Does anyone have any more 20s I can have? Alright, I'm gonna Message in a bottle. It's a it's a good fall day. Bye goats, bye goats, bye goats. I know I wish I could have spent more time out there today. But there's that moon, so I'm okay. Cause it's moon time. It's moon time. Love you. Okay. Are we gonna get SOS to the world? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, it's it amazes me how long it takes this. I don't understand how I literally tell it to know Bluetooth and it just keeps going to Bluetooth. Hold on, I gotta make sure the kitty's happy. It's your touring fool, Alice Cooper, here to take you around the world through the radio. Maybe I'll start periscoping my radio shows so you can see me too, but then again, I'd have to put on pants if I did that. And that would disappoint most of the people. Anyway, I've got some great trivia coming up in just a bit on ACDC. But first, let's start off this hour with a song from Cream, White Room. It's amazing to me how every time... It's like, oh, I got all this time, I got all this time, all the time. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's showtime, and you're late to the show. I'm always late. Like, I just don't, I don't understand how it happens every single time. Every single time. Every single time. 
like like I turned the I turned the radio dial because it was just getting like weird static and I couldn't get back. So then I thought I got back because I thought there was a, oh this song something that they were playing on that station. It wasn't that station. And I can't let you know St. John not have the same experience. How do you think we sync up? Look at this sunset.
reflection looks so good off it. I don't even want to, I just want to find a place to... shoot it over the over the lip of the kitty box but he like would just hit miss but it would still hit the side of the kitty box and then roll in like and he did it five times in a row okay like he stood in the exact spot and he knows exactly where he's pissing so one of two things is he's either telling me that it's not him and it's one of the other dick holes <laughs> I mean literally that's where the piss is coming right from Just a bean walking around at 
Like everyone else is typically like, you know, happy-go-lucky and And also usually if you're getting hissed at, she's making aggressive advances and there's claws flying towards you. And you're thinking to yourself, why would you want to be around a kitty like that? Keep Pennsylvania beautiful. Because I'm telling you, when she is lovey, she is the most, most, she won't stop loving. You'll actually be done with the love and she's still giving you the love. You know what I mean? Like, you, you thought you had max love and now your face is being... That's quick rock trivia tonight. He's being weird tonight.
to be honest, his high beams were lower than all the other four that were there. Huh? So either one of two things is happening. Either people aren't turning down the high beams or the lights are way too bright that they're creating. But no one cares about it. Because, I don't know. That was Blazing Glory by Bon Jovi. And here's some trivia on that song for you. What inspired the writing of it? Well, allegedly, actor Emilio Estevez requested Bon Jovi's song, One and Dead or Alive, for the soundtrack to Young Guns 2. But Bon Jovi did not think the lyrics about the band consistently touring fit the theme of the Western movie. But he wrote Blaze of Glory with lyrics more topical to the film. I'll be back shortly with music from U2 and Guns N' Roses after these commercials. Is that real? Why, do you, I, why are you acting like a bot today, Alice? feel like you had a bad day. Lord Jesus, I pray for Alice right now. Oh, O'Reilly. I pray for Alice right now that you just lift him up and let him have strength to get through his tour and get through this radio station. Lord Jesus, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Lord Jesus, thank you for Aunt Nancy because apparently she just fell and she needs some healing on her hip. Okay. And thank you for Aunt Nancy because she's awesome. Look at that Luna! <laughs> Rocky, Hold on, see. 
pumpkin spice season. I'm using pumpkin spice deodorant, which is so delicious smelling. I might have to put it in my latte. I think Bono does that too. I've done it. 
tell you. Let me tell you. Let me turn on this Cherry Street and see what that's all about.
I'm talking about. And it sucks because I just missed the other one. Well, it's probably going longer than an hour now. That's awesome. And it's 6 p.m. Why 6 p.m.? I've never seen that. But I definitely will start going to that. Listen, I've had so many, I've had so many dreams about me going to, so I've understood this about my dreams, okay? <clears throat> I don't have enough, like, oh, there's only certain ones that I, I get to remember, right? But it's, it's at the same place, okay? Obviously not every single one is at the same place all the time, but it's the same place, and that place is slightly different than this place. <laughs> and that's about it. Let's go to Adventures and Odyssey, how about? Yet today's lesson started by reading. Uh, wait, what? Bird is Pastor Damien. Colossians chapter two, we'll pick things up in verse 11. I'll give it Paul to you. Writes, By the spirit of you God. got 30 minutes, Damien. Him, this one is live, because last time it wasn't live. Circumcision okay. made without hands. Well, we had a little argument. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Uh -huh. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumph over them in it. So, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, or new moon. which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. As we've seen the Apostle Paul, he writes... <clears throat> okay, I just want to say, so the substance is upon Christ, yes, right? Yes. Okay, so why do you think why do you think God had to make something where He chopped off the foreskin of males to to redeem them at one point, but then it literally was just Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. I would say this at at the point where there needed to be circumcision, and He offered that as the as the <clears throat> tool to have some sort of redemption. See what I'm saying? If God says, hey, you need to cut off your dick skin, your foreskin, okay? Because I'm commanding you to do it. And you must obey me. Okay? Or suffer the consequences. You take the cutting off the foreskin because it's not going to be as bad as whatever the consequences are. Okay. Now, I just want to let you know that's the angle I'm coming at you, Damien, before I listen to you for another 27 minutes. Okay, go. 
if we handle this that it's important for us to realize as Christians in the United States of America and also know that I could be listening to Alice Cooper right now and he could be giving me some crazy Halloween stuff so you better get Steppenwolf that it is is so that we don't become the proverbial frog that is boiled to death in the boiling water simply because the water has brought been brought to a boil so slowly what Paul addresses here in this section of the book of Colossians is very, very dangerous to Christianity. And it represents a very pronounced attack upon the Christianity uh, that <coughs> Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father in order to provide to mankind. We can become so used to man's wisdom and philosophy being added to Christianity today as Americans. We can become so used to legalism having made such massive inroads into large portions of Christianity as it's practiced here that we can begin to think that they're just kind of nothing. They're no big deal and, and uh, no need for us to make any big deal out of it either. Well, we may not make a big deal out of it outwardly, but it needs to be a big deal in our hearts where we recognize that these things are an absolute threat to what God wants to do in our lives and what he wants Christianity to be in this world. Now, in short, these verses that we're looking at this morning, the Apostle Paul, he warns us that legalism has absolutely nothing to add to Christianity and that to engage in legalism is to spend my life focused upon the shadows rather than the spiritual substance of a relationship uh, with the Lord Jesus and all that he has provided to us uh, spiritually. Because Let's legalism was needed probably before Jesus, but then but lives. then the people that got powerful from the legalism is, were like, well, let's just keep legalism. Jesus and Jesus was like, no, because uh, you're also missing the point too. Uh, dominated by two major sects or groups. One was the Sadducees and one was the Pharisees. And the Sadducees were the, yeah, the, right uh, the theological liberals of their day within Judaism and the theological liberal both then and today is the person who takes away from the Word of God and they minimize or they explain away or they deny or disregard <coughs> the clear teaching and demands of God's Word and to them the Bible is more a book of suggestions from God rather than being commandments and anything that kind of displeases them uh, or they uh, they don't quite agree with they simply disregard or they attempt to uh, explain away and uh, this problem is very very prevalent today in our country in and within Christianity not only in the lives of individual Christians but prevalent even among pastors where there seems to be this uh, sense of of freedom to take what clearly what God demands within his word of us and when it doesn't fit with the times doesn't fit with the culture it doesn't fit with the flesh or somehow it will cost us in some way to explain it away and to 
disregarded. At the other extreme of Judaism, there were the Pharisees, and they were the legalists in, in Judaism. And the religious legalist is one who takes a simple command in the Bible, and then they add all of their own man-made ideas and traditions to that command in order to make that simple command of God uh, stricter and more demanding than God intended it to be. And whatever God declares in his word, they will always take that at least a step further. And so the rationale is something like this. Well, if God commands us in his word to do X, then 3X must be three times better, or 10X must be 10 times better. And they then come up with all kinds That's of That's a good way of putting it, Damien. Wow. Which a person might really show or really prove that wow. they're really serious about God and uh, to really prove their love for God. And legalism in our country, uh, beyond kind of the doctrinal things that Paul's going to talk about here in a moment, but legalism has been expressed in terms of whether women can wear makeup as Christians or the length of men or women's hair or outward apparel or whether women can wear pants or you can what you can eat, what you can drink, can you own a TV, can you own a radio, can you listen to them if you do own them and these kind of things. It is important to realize and to not confuse obedience to God's commandments with legalism. Keeping God's commandments is not legalism. Obeying God's commandments is obeying God's commandments. Legalism is obeying man-made rules this is not referring here, Paul's rebuke of legalism is not in any way a rebuke of being obedient to God's commandments as they're stated in, in the Word of God. 100%. Now, one of the many problems with legalism and legalists is that they never quite know when to stop because once you abandon the Bible as a necessary uh, basis or foundation for your beliefs and for your demands. Once you feel free to add to the Word of God, you no longer feel the need to keep your personal opinions to yourself and to your own personal Christian life and your own preferences, and you fail to keep them restrained by the Word of God. The Word of God is no longer strictly our uh, standard for our practice and our doctrine and we begin to feel that we can do to the word of god with the same freedom that the sadducees with which they took away from the word of god that we can then add to the word of god and the problem is is when the word of god no longer is the foundation for what what we believe then you never know if your legalism is enough and then you will have the potential to go crazy with your legalistic demands as a mark of spirituality until ultimately the legalistic system becomes so impossible to keep. And just uh, remember, Damien, God told us in Revelation what the mark of God are. And the Jesus mark of the children of God. This to be uh, true in speaking to the Pharisees in his day in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4. He 
said of them, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Some of you are familiar with Matthew chapter 23, and uh, it is the great chapter where uh, Jesus denounces the scribes and the Pharisees, and he repeatedly denounced the scribes and the Pharisees with a phrase, and the phrase was, woe to you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And of all of the things that Jesus could denounce them for in their legalism, all of the say? many, many Let things all that the he earth bring the to Lord. the forefront, what he brought to the forefront in denouncing them was the hypocrisy that legalism always produces within people. He denounced the all legalism as an intrusion of man's wisdom into Christianity. And when man takes and introduces legalism into Christianity, makes the demands and the commands of God more demanding than they already are, it never produces a peace-filled disciple of Jesus Christ, but all it ever produces are frustrated, exhausted Now, actors. this is why I like Damien. And that's okay? what the word hypocrite means. It means an actor, someone who is wears it? a mask. And most often legalism deals with the outward, how we present ourselves outwardly to the neglect of what we are inwardly. We're saying the song today about God changing us from Holy the cut, inside cut, cut. out. Legalism operates the in the opposite about... direction and only from the inside out ultimately works. And one of the reasons that when a person gets involved in a in a legalistic system. There are people who thrive in that environment. They are born Pharisees, they are born legalists, and they will rise to the top in those environments and go years in them. But then there are others who endeavor to obey all of these traditions and uh, legalistic requirements, and they collapse ultimately. And one of the reasons is because God supplies the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives as Christians in order to obey his commandments, gives us the power to do that. But he does not supply us the power of his Holy Spirit in order to engage in legalism. Legalism must always be accomplished in the strength of the flesh. And so ultimately, the demands of legalism will increase and increase and increase until even the most Jealous of people trying to Okay, this is what I like about him. Okay. I like the fact that he's very thorough and covers all his all his angles. He covers all the angles. The problem is he covering all the angles all the time. It doesn't you did say the same thing like twenty times right there. But that's also good because sometimes you gotta say the same things twenty times, you know what I mean? And I can't sit there and argue. See, I just realized something, the fact that you do that is the fact that I see people and they skip around their arguments because but but they leave so much room for misinterpretation even just misinterpretation even just misinterpretation
joy in my Christian life. Another problem with legalism is originated ideas about how to be, be an actor spiritual, how to really please God, is that ultimately the legalists will come up with oh, so many laws and so many rules that it ends up taking all of your time to keep them. And your entire yeah, you focus becomes already. on keeping all of these laws and of traditions and rules. And the reason this great separation occurs between it's been on the my whole time. inner man, who I am really spiritually, becomes a dwarf compared well, to what I present myself to you, outwardly, is that legalism ends up requiring so much attention and so much maintenance related to the external that I have nothing left with which to nurture the inner man and nurture right. my relationship with God. This is great. Legalism always Damien, reduces I don't know why we were fighting so much on that other one. A it's crazy. It's like you're a completely and different person. I end up investing my entire life into this formula of do's and don'ts and ultimately what I will find myself in the place of over the long haul is I <coughs> develop a relationship with the formula rather than a relationship with God at all. And so my relationship with Christ or my relationship with Him in some denomination or non-denomination uh, is focused entirely upon doing these things rather than just being free to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And one of the reasons that we gravitate toward legalism, one of the reasons a formula is very appealing to us, even as Christians, is that a formula, a relationship with a formula, is much easier and less demanding well, than a relationship with another person, and even a relationship with God. Now, it's nowhere near fulfilling. It yeah. will ultimately bury but any relationship that is meaningful with another person involves time and investment. And you can jettison all of that and just have a relationship with a, with a legalistic formula. And it streamlines a life, but it's no way to prepare for heaven. And it's a horrible representation of Christianity altogether. Let me also say that it is important for each of us to understand that legalism appeals to us. It appeals to our flesh to varying degrees, depending upon our personalities or our background, but it appeals to all of us. And I would contend that it is our default position in life. There's nothing in the world that operates the way the kingdom of God does, the way Christianity does. On the basis of grace, obeying God out of a motivation of gratitude and love for how good God has been to us. And so we gradually gravitate to rules, to laws, to these kind of things, unless we stay very alert to that fact in our lives. And it is this alertness that the Apostle Paul is trying to produce within our lives here. I'm listening now, to you. You notice in these verses that yeah, Paul addresses Alertness. four areas of legalism uh, specifically. And uh, apparently, among other things, these we false teachers were attempting to the church at Colossae, though made up largely of Gentiles, to bring them back under the law okay. of Moses.
pertaining to Three circumcision jackets, verse 11, to Four baptism, jackets. or mixed in verses 12 and 13, to the law of Moses in general and the Ten Commandments in, in particular in verses 14 and 15, and then the observance of, of dietary restrictions and special days in verse 16. Okay. Concerning circumcision in verse 11, physical circumcision was a sign of the covenant Damien does not have any downtime he is just all I don't even have any time to like think about jokes as it's recorded in Genesis chapter 17 and what it represented physically this physical circumcision was it was a physical reminder to Abraham and his descendants that God would establish his covenant with Abraham just as he had promised Genesis chapter 12 I will make you a great I nation a I, I will bless you side. I Here's will make your name sign. great and you shall be a blessing Sorry, I Damien. will bless Signs those dead. who bless you I will curse him who curses you and in if you sinners entice the thee the consent thou not Proverbs one call one zero we're coming back to it as an evidence we're coming of the back fact to that it. God would make Abraham the father of many nations, Genesis chapter 17, and that ultimately the children of Israel would come to possess and inhabit the land of Canaan, the promised land, as that is declared in Genesis chapter 17 as well. What circumcision represented spiritually is significant in the Old Testament as well. Okay. And the now cutting the away are... of the flesh in that way, yeah. it communicated way and, and symbolized dick. the cutting away of the flesh. And that the Jewish people were not to be ruled by the flesh, but they were to be ruled by God. Uh, it was an outward symbol of their hearts, that their hearts because... were no longer okay. dominated by their flesh and all of this is a common theme in the Old Testament Moses wrote of it in Deuteronomy chapter 10 yeah, for verse a long 16 time, gentlemen, he said we therefore to, circumcise uh, the foreskin of your heart dick. and be stiff neck no more Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6 and the Lord your God Moses again will circumcise your heart and the heart of God your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. God spoke through Jeremiah in, among the prophets. Jeremiah 4.4, 4, and God declared to the Jewish people, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, Paul declares to us in this context here, he declares to us that just as physical circumcision made the Jewish people unique and different from everyone else in the world, what makes us different from all of the other people in the world as Christians is not physical circumcision, but a spiritual one. The circumcision of our hearts, where our hearts are no longer dominated by the flesh, no longer dominated by sin, but now dominated by the Holy Spirit. We trust it's your desire to live in the Spirit and not under legalism. With that, we'll draw another According to the Scriptures broadcast to a close. Pastor Damian Kyle is in a study of Colossians, which we've titled, Give Me Jesus. 
And you can request today's message on CD by calling us today, 209-545-5530. Once more, that's 209-545-5530. You can also listen to our programs at accordingtothescriptures.com and through our mobile app, too. Search for Calvary Chapel Modesto. We have a Calvary Chapel TV app that allows you to watch video on demand through Roku and Fire TV. And we can help you get started when you visit ccmodesto.com. Search app, for the Calvary Chapel Modesto channel. If you'd like to support According to the Scriptures, just go online to accordingtothescriptures.com or write to us, 4300 American Avenue. Modesto, California. The zip code is 95356. You can also donate through the app. And thank you for helping us to be a light in a very dark world that needs Jesus. That's all the time that we have for today, but join us next time on According to the Scriptures when Pastor Damian Kyle continues our series, Give Me Jesus. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Modesto.
Lancaster, Lancaster quite a, a thing. A buddy.
So let's some music that's perfect for banging your head to in a wall so don't move. By popular demand, the weekend edition of Nights with Alice Cooper.
eyes around this open fire as the winter time has been cold. We have big tent we're sitting in, but we have an open fire inside. We're drinking hot sweet tea. And it's a great time. Once once nightfall comes, everyone's hot dealt with all the animals that they're herding during the day. They're all sorted out. What else can you do but sit around a fire and tell stories? Right, it's beautiful. So I took the opportunity to tell a story. Let's I started with Abraham, because that's a, a figure that people they have some knowledge of from the Quran, but also they're very familiar as nomads with their animals. They're kind of like, okay, we understand what it is to put all your family on the back of camels and take them to somewhere else. They, wow. it, it connects with them. Yeah. Started with Abraham, went back to Adam and Eve and the story of creation and fall and broken relationship. Talked about Abraham taking his son to sacrifice and how God provided a ram in the place. Then talked a bit about Moses and it's a long story. Okay, and it's full of interruptions. You're sitting there drinking tea and something happens with the animals. Somebody has to go out and see what's going on. They right. come back in and another guest turns up. You've got to make introductions and chat about the latest news of that part of the desert for a few minutes. More tea's brought. And then you just kind of pick up the story. But it was a cold winter's night and then the tent was divided to the men's section and the women's section. And normally very separate. But uh, some of the women came in and they kind of sat around the edge of the men's circle, the older women closer and the younger women towards the back. And you could just kind of see them through the flames of the fire. And I um, carried on telling the story. I got to John the Baptist. I love this guy. Says, you know, see Thank Jesus from afar. He says, guy. look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then talked about the, a bit about the life of Jesus, his teaching, his miracles got to the Garden of Gethsemane. So it really was a long story. It's like a two-hour story. But in a storytelling culture, that's fine. And then got to his crucifixion. And how they beat Jesus. How they put a crown of thorns on his head so the blood is, is running down. And as I was telling this part of the story, I could see through the flames of the fire in this tent. I could see on the kind of one of the outer circles this old lady you know, with, with skin which looked, you know, so leathery because just a tough, tough life. She was kind of the grandmother in the family. And I could see tears coming down her face. And it struck me then, this lady has no idea how the story is going to end. I mean, I can't remember the day that I didn't know Jesus rose again. I mean, I guess theoretically there was a time when I knew he died, but I didn't know who's going to rise again. But I can't remember that time. But she had no idea how the story was going to end, that he was going to rise victorious. Thank you, Jesus. And that conversation, that story, that evening is one of those that sticks with me because you realize that woman is representative of so many other people around the world. Millions. Millions, hundreds of millions or billions who... who right? who have no idea even about anything to do with the story, let alone how it finishes. And, and the mandate for us as the church, the mandate is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you are feeling as Allie, you listen to these stories, that God that's is calling you, I want to encourage you to talk you. to your pastor, talk to somebody at your church, talk to uh, different organizations. OM is one of those, Operation Mobilization. Uh, and, and answer wow. that call. Answer that call that God is laying on your heart. 
we have also had conversations with, with George Verwer, one of the founders of OM, with Dale Rotan, the other founder of OM. Uh, they're in our archives at vomradio.net. You can listen to those conversations. Brother Stephen, thank you for sharing your heart for the Muslim world. Brother thank Stephen. you for sharing your passion you, and missions with us Stephen. and being our guest this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure being with you. If you'll come back next week, we are going to have a conversation about a visit to Central Asia. And uh, we're going to hear uh, the rest of a story and a really amazing rest of the story of how God has worked uh, in a situation in Central Asia, a situation where a pastor was killed. Uh, but God has done some amazing things since then. I know that you will be encouraged by that conversation. So be way. sure that you're back with us next week.
and even hired counselors to frustrate them. Uh, and they came as rebel to the chief of the fathers and said, let us build with you. We seek after you. We seek your God. That's their claim. Just because they seek your God doesn't mean they're seeking him exclusively. That's part of the problem here. As you know, we do sacrifice to him since the days, and they, they make a claim background here. But Zerubbabel and Joshua, that's the civil and religious authority here, in effect. And the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said to them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto our Lord God of Israel. This King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Very interesting. The important command is that God commanded them to do this. But as far as these people concerned, they take refuge, if you will, that King Cyrus has commanded them to do this. That's the decree by Cyrus is very important. Now the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. So see, they're not through. They're, they're just, they're, they're bad guys. And they hired counselors against him to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. Darius will succeed here, and we'll talk more about him as we go. And, the, and, in, and in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Ahasuerus is probably Xerxes. He is the, the king of the time of Esther. And just to give you a feeling of the timing here. But they wrote, they're, they're stirring up trouble. They're writing the, the king. In the days of Artaxerxes, wrote uh, Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabil, and the rest of their companions unto Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. And the writing of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue, interpreted in the Syrian tongue. Or we could call it Aramaic, same thing. Rehum the Chancellor and Shimshai the Scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes the king in this sort. This is a second form of opposition, obviously, where they try to discourage the workers, making them afraid. That's, uh, Jeremiah was accused of doing this very thing back in his day, Jeremiah 38. And this is where the Samaritans are revealing their true character, if you will. Um, and uh, they, will, they will reveal their real true character when... After further rejections, they're going to build their temple at Mount Gerizim. And that comes up in John chapter 4 with the woman by the well, if you may recall. But uh, in any case, uh, we'll just keep moving along here. Now, when we get to, from verse 6 on, there's a parenthesis. The narrative is going to stop, and we're going to have a background. Ezra's going to background these, uh, a parenthetical section here of letters to and from Artaxerxes. They're out of place chronologically, but they follow logically to show the opposition that Ezra had begun to describe. And it continued for many years until Xerxes finally uh, began to reign. And on until the days of Artaxerxes. So this is going to set up background that you'll need to understand to really appreciate what not only what Ezra was against, but what Nehemiah finally unraveled here. And by the way, the word accusation that came up here in verse 6, by the way, is the same root in the Hebrew as the word Satan. That was he's the accuser, basically. Interesting. Okay, I got I, I got more background than you really <laughs> probably want to get into. It's written, of course, in the Aramaic language, it's a, a, um, rather, Aramaic script rather than the Hebrew slant script, if you will, or in cuneiform. Um, now, Rahum was the, the uh, commanding officer, and Shimshai was the secretary. Probably were Persians who were persuaded to write the letter, if you will. And we get to verse nine. Then wrote Rahim the Chancellor and Shimshai the Scribe and the rest of their companions. And there's a whole list of these, these uh, 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 various uh, participants from various parts of the Persian Empire. The Dinaites, the Aphrasites, and the Tarpalites, and the Aphrasites, and the Archivites, and the Babylonians, 
and the Susangites and the Dehavites and the Elamites are all these various regions. You understand this is not just a local thing. This is the Persian Empire we're dealing with here. And the rest of the nations whom the great noble uh, Asnapar uh, brought over and set in the cities of Samaria and the rest that were on this side of the river and at such a time. Because of this translation policy that the Syrians had, there were these kinds of people scattered in and out, of course, of the area of Samaria. This is the copy of the letter that they sent unto him, even to Artaxerxes the king. Thy servants, the men on this side of the river, and at such a time, be it known unto the king that the Jews, which came up from thee to us, are come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and bad city, and have set up walls thereof, and joined the foundations. Now frankly, from some details here, they're exaggerating the amount of progress these guys have made, but they're trying to sound the alarm here. The, uh, the, the letter itself will be uh, uh, detailed here. Be it known now unto the king that if this city be builded and the walls set up again, then will they not pay toll, tribute, or custom, so thou shalt endamage the revenue of the kings. See, they're trying to alarm the king that these people are going to set up the wall of the city and they're not going to pay taxes and you're going to damage the empire. So Now because we have maintenance from the king's palace and it was not meet for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore have we sent and certified the king. That search be made in the book of the records of thy fathers, so shalt thou, fi thou found find in the book of the records, and know that this city is a rebellious city, and hurtful unto kings and provinces, and that they have moved sedition within the time of old time, within the same of old time, for which cause the city was destroyed. Bear in mind, see, we're not talking about the reign of Artaxerxes. There's several kings back there to get back to Darius and, and Cyrus. They're saying, search the records, you'll find out that Jerusalem, when it wasn't destroyed, was a source of trouble. That's why they destroyed it back there. That's their argument. What's going to happen, by the way, is going to search the records and discover the decrees by Cyrus and Darius that give these people authority. So it's going to backfire on them before it's all over. But anyway, that's, that's the, they're out, uh, obviously trying to, you know, stir up trouble here. And uh, the complainers are saying it's their patriotic duty to tell the king, you know, that what was happening. So we can search the records and see that Jerusalem was a rebellious city and so forth. And uh, so it goes on. We certify the king that if this city be built again, and the walls thereof set up, by this means thou shalt have no portion on this side of the river. Then sent the king an answer to Rehum the chancellor, and to Shimshai the scribe, and to the rest of their companions that dwell in Samaria, and to the rest uh, beyond the river. Peace, peace, and at such a time. The letter which he sent unto us hath been plainly read before me. This is Artaxerxes' response. And I commanded. And search hath been made, and is found that this city of old time hath made insurrection against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made therein. There have been many mighty kings also over Jerusalem, which have ruled over all countries beyond the river, and toll and tribute custom was paid unto them. Give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease, that this city be not built, until another commandment shall be given from me. That clause is very important. Because you'll discover when you study both Daniel 6 and the lion's den and also study the book of uh, Esther, you'll discover that the Persians had a, a legal system in which once a king made an edict, he couldn't change it unless he provided for a change. And so it turns out this little clause in verse 21 is very important. He tells him to cease and desist until another commandment should begin for me. In other words, this turns out, it sounds negative, but it's actually in their favor. It's going to turn out to be in their favor because he's setting the stage as he examines this more carefully. Um, that uh, to make a change. He says, Take heed now that ye fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to the hurt of kings? 
Now, when the copy of the King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai and the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem and to the Jews and made them cease by force and power. They ceased the work of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, so it ceased under the second year of the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. So things came to a halt. I want you to notice something here. What they're trying to do is build a temple. But the point of the issue is the walls. They're going to end up building their temple finally. But that isn't the thing that's going to work here. They need to build, they need to have the authority to build the walls. That's going to come under Nehemiah and Artaxerxes. That's forthcoming. Very important distinction to make. A distinction which Gabriel emphasized when he gives Daniel the prophecy in Daniel 9 centuries earlier. So that's so much for chapter 4. Let's go to chapter 5. Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel, even unto them. See, Haggai and Zechariah are encouragers. Very different style of their books. And uh, you need to read those books to understand. Zechariah is full of incredible little tidbits. Little cryptic prophecies that are real grabbers. Both fun books. Anyway. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltino, and Jeshua, the he son of Josadak. Josadak. He got me. And there. began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, and with them were the prophets of God, helping them. At the same time came to them Tetnai, governor on this side of the river, and Shethar Bosnai, the, and their companions, and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? Then said we unto them, So does the we see Ezra's now present then said we unto them after this manner what are the names of the men that make this building but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius and then they returned answer by letter concerning this matter the copy of the letter that Tatnai the governor on this side of the river and, and uh, Sheth Bosnai and his companions and the Evharshakites which were on this side of the river sent to Darius the king they sent a letter in them wherein was written thus unto Darius the king, all peace. Be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea to the house of the great God, which is built with great stones, and the timber is laid in the walls, and this work goeth fast on, and prospereth in their hands. Then ask we then ask we these elders and said to them, Thus, who commanded you to build this house and to make these walls? We asked their names also to certify thee that we might write the names of the men that were the chief of them. And thus they return us this answer, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and build the house that was built these many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and set up, referring, of course, to Solomon. But after that our fathers had provoked the God of heaven unto wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away to Babylon. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus made a decree to build this house of God. And the vessels also of gold and silver of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, and brought them to the temple of Babylon. Those did Cyrus the king take out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered unto one whose name was Shephazar, whom he had made governor. And said unto him, Take these vessels, go carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be builded in his place. And then came the same Shephazar, and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and since that time, even until now, hath it been building, and yet is not finished. By the way, you notice the word Sheshbazar here is being used to the Persians against this Persian accusation. So I, I tend to lean to think that that's just the Persian name of Zerubbabel. Whether it's two guys or one guy, it's sort of irrelevant. That's what I mean. Verse 17, Now therefore, if it seemed good to the king, 
Let there be search made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it be so that a decree was made of Cyrus the king to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning the matter. Interesting challenge. They're challenging them to go back and check the records. They have a perceived authority back from Cyrus. That's what they're challenging them. It is incredibly impressive to me that they're able to go back and that the Persian records, even when distributed in different capitals, they're able, they're very tidy, very organized, very impressive administration. They dig up this decree. And then, of course, it tells us chapter 6. Then Darius the king made a decree, and the search was made in the house of the rolls, where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Mecca, in the palace that is the promise of the Medes, not the Babylonians, on the Medes, a roll, and therein was a record thus written. Akmetha is probably a variation, if you will, of Ekbatana. It's the capital, the, the, it's the capital of the old Medan, Median uh, uh, Empire. And the scroll was Ekbatana. Because, by the way, that's where Cyrus spent the summer of 538 when the decree was granted. Oh, okay. He issued the decree. In the first year of Cyrus the king, the same Cyrus the king made a decree concerning the house of God in Jerusalem. Let the house be builded. The place where they offered sacrifices and let the foundation thereof be strongly laid. And the height thereof was three score cubits and the breadth thereof three score cubits. By the way, that sounds good, but that's half the size of Solomon's temple. So from, from, a, from a Jewish point of view, that's very disappointing, but at least it's a, it's a step. With three rows of great stones and a row of new timber, let the expenses be given out of the king's house. In other words, Cyrus is paying the bill. That's got to be impressive. I'm always interested to see who's right signing the checks. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, be brought into Babylon to be restored, and brought again to the temple, which is at Jerusalem, everyone to his place, and place them in the house of God. And now therefore, Tatnai the governor, beyond the river, uh, Sheth Harbotnai, and your companions, and the Aphrodites, which are beyond the river, bring me far from this. <laughs> That's a B, uh, that, that, that puts it pretty straight. B, B, far. Let's see. I've got a, a more critical. Yeah, B, far. It happens to be a very common Aramaic legal statement. Uh, it, uh, in other words, uh, um, what's the term I'm, I'm fumbling here? Restraint, thank you. A restraining order. Excellent. That's what we would call a restraining order, yes. Be far from this. In other words, you stay away from that, is what I say. Let the work of this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Moreover, I make a decree. Get this now. He knows how to, he, this guy is a good administrator. He, he makes it, he gets rid of any ambiguities here. Moreover, I make a decree that ye shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river. Now this is going to come out of the budgets of the people doing the complaining. Forthwith expenses be given unto these men that they be not hindered. Ooh. What's this? That's kind of fun. Swap but he's not through. And that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointment of the priests which are at Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifice of sweet savors unto the God of heaven, and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. He's, he's saying, you know, they're going to pray for us too, see? And I have made a decree. Now get this. 
In case, in case they don't understand, there is, is going to explain it a little more clearly, okay? Also, I've made a decree that whosoever shall alter this word, let timber be pulled down from his house, and being set up, let him be hanged thereon, and let his house be made a dunghill for this. Ouch. You got the picture, Swamp right? Swamp Lutheran Church. I might give you another technicality. When you read the book of Esther, you find that you know, they keep talking about Haman hanging on gallows and so forth. That's a mistranslation. What, they actually, what the word actually means is impaled. The Persians are the ones that invented crucifixion. And it, it gets really adopted by the Romans very broadly, but its origin is in the Persian days. They don't hang, they impale. So very likely these are early forms of crucifixion he's talking about. Let him be hanged thereon, no, nailed thereon, impaled thereon. And let his house be made. I I have to I have to fight you there and say we have to see what the word is, okay? Because if the word says hang I mean it's I guess it could still be hung on a crucifix. I don't know. If you're saying that, that the word was impaled instead of hang, the original word, is that what you're is that what you're arguing? I'd have to see it though. Or have two people say it, Chuck, you know what I mean? So they did I think they saluted and you could hear the rubber burn as they headed home. And the elders of the Jews built it, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet, Zechariah the son of Edom. They built it and finished it according I to the command like of the God of Israel. I think they like the test to be sometimes, because whenever I quiet it, and then, then, oh, I come back, then there's a joke. And it was like, oh, I missed the butt of the joke. Interesting. How'd that happen? This house was finished on the third day of the month this of Israel. It was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. The children of Israel, the priests, and the Levites, and the rest of the children of captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy and offered at the dedication of this house of God a hundred bullocks and two hundred rams and four hundred lambs. Hold on, let's switch for to this. Hebrew. It's been Aramaic. Trucks, 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 trucks. Okay, that was um, a truck. 
but it's literally got. Uh, this is the first time in seven years got that they've been able to celebrate. Uh, the, uh, you know what I'm saying? The feasts and so forth. Then for the priests and the Levites were purified together, all of them were pure and killed the Passover for all the children of the captivity and for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. And the children of Israel, which were come again out of the captivity, and all such as had separated themselves out of them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land to seek the Lord of God, did eat, and kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. And the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them uh, to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry of the Institute. Visit corneainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ, as you study his word. The best part was I wanted to see if it said Chuck Missler or Chuck Missler, and I didn't get to hear it because it literally ran out right before.
a shield on you, you're gonna get it done. Yeah. And that must mean that they have a management team that actually knows how to like, you know, treat their employees with some respect. Give them a little respect.
there, it's the first day of the week. First night of the week. See, it's hard to think about it when you think, oh, the day is the end. I understand that because you've been engraved to think that the day is the start. It, it says in the Bible a lot, nights and then days, so that days come after the night. I got some. 
that a Swedish biochip is necessarily and definitively the biblical mark of the beast. I don't really believe that. But it's hard not to see some obvious trend lines. And there's one thing I can say with confidence. Money will play an essential role in all of the events of the future, including the end times. There's a couple of chapters in the book of Revelation where the economic center of the world at that time, Babylon, is destroyed, and it occupies dozens of verses talking about the destruction of Babylon, the center of the monetary world. So, okay. money's always been important in the past. Everything connected with economics is increasingly important today, but it's driving our world. I think we can assume money will remain important in the future, and that it will 
world even more in days to come. Get ready. So the Bible is rich with information on this topic. Specifically, Scripture reveals that money will have an impact on the end times, both leading up to and during the period known as the Tribulation. Let's talk about three of the most important financial signs of the end time. Number one, the addiction to money. Can you be addicted to money? Yes. Do you Sean know anybody that's addicted to money? Big Sean. Second Timothy 3, 1 and 2 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of money. It's I easy would to say think of Wall Street when we read these verses. But we also must grapple with this personally. Paul said that the end times will be a period defined by rejecting what is good and running to embrace what is evil. And much of that will be centered on an ever-increasing appetite for money. That matches what Paul had previously written to Timothy, a verse that's often misunderstood, but listen to it carefully. For the love of money is the root of all evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I always like to tell people that Paul did not say that money was the root of all evil. How many of you know money's neutral? Money has no personality or right. it's, it's a just tool. neutral. It's, a it's tool. what we do with money that creates the issue. And Paul said in Timothy, it's not money that's evil, it's the love of money. Then here's another thing that seems quite interesting because there's a lot of discussion See, about that's this right the kind now. Of stuff we're talking and that's about. the acceleration of inequality. The last days say that there will be an increasing amount of inequality as far as wealth is concerned. As I've been saying, the tribulation is the coming seven-year period during which God will complete his discipline of Israel and bring his wrath to bear on the evil of the world. The tribulation will be a period of extreme economic inequality. I hope so. Most people will struggle to find basic supplies just to get through the day. Yet, perhaps those who gave themselves most fully to an addiction of money prior to the tribulation are going to have a hard time just getting enough money to get through the day. They will continue to indulge in a luxurious lifestyle, but they won't have any way to support it. Then, thirdly, not only the addiction to money and the acceleration of inequality, the adoration of the Antichrist. Just as financial addition and rising inequality conjure up scenes oh, in the man, future, a sign telling me where I'm going. the Bible tells us that a cult leader will be revealed who will deceive the whole world and ultimately oh, declare himself to be God. The Antichrist will be the personification of charisma, and people will do anything for a glimpse of him. The Bible shows us who he really is. Revelation 13 calls him a beast rising up out of the sea. This ultimate dictator will rule the world during the last days, and he won't be alone. A few verses later, John saw a second beast, this one coming up out of the earth. This beast is called the false prophet, and he will have one supreme duty, to point humanity toward the Antichrist. It will be a twisted inversion of how the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus Christ in John's vision, we're told this beast had two horns like a lamb and Lord, spoke like a dragon. Lord, increase our faith. In other words, Luke, Satan will cause his false five. prophet to appear like a meek and gentle lamb, when in reality he will have the heart of a destroyer. Satan will be the power behind it all, and the Antichrist will be the political leader, while the false prophet will be the spiritual leader. Lord, increase our faith. And the economic leader. 
and he'll be able to accomplish incredible things like bringing the Antichrist back to life after a mortal wound and enabling an idolatrous image to speak. You can read all about it. It sounds fantastic. You can read all it's in about the Bible, it. And it's going to happen. Please do. The false prophet you, will also lead people into the worship of the Antichrist. Yeah, don't His influence will be supernatural and demonic. I don't know what he's doing. For our purpose here, I want to direct your attention to the false prophet's economic power. He has okay, two bye. things that he does. He controls the spiritual temperature of the world and the economic temperature of the world. I want you to hear what the false prophet says at this particular time through the prophecy of John in the book of Revelation. Revelation 13, 16 through 18. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Let's finish this up with this question that I've asked in this book. I've written a number of prophecy books, but I've never written one with a section like this. This is kind of a motivational section of the book that I've just written. So the book's chapters are all divided into these categories. Where are we now? What does it mean? And where do we go from here? So let me just give you some thoughts about that. You can respond to this danger with emphatic determination and timely wisdom. So let me give you some things that you should be thinking about. I hope you will do this. First of all, determine to count the cost. Determine to count the cost. In Luke 14 we read, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Here's what I want to say to you, and maybe this comes as a strange message at a time like this. No, but I want you to hear it because it's true. Following Jesus carries a cost. Throughout history, many Christians have paid that cost with their lives. Others have paid it with their reputations. Others have paid it with their convenience, their relationships, their freedom, and even their health and wealth. When Christ is everything, everything else is nothing in comparison. Maybe you've not lost your wherewithal in your life. Many of you are probably paid minimal costs to follow Christ. That our circumstances could change, and at some point they will change, probably sooner rather than later. I feel them starting to change right now with all that's going on in our schools, with what's being pushed on us in corporations with big tech and all of this. I feel the icy fingers of that reaching out to grab hold of us and gravitate us toward the center. As the world veers further away from God's values and as time moves closer toward Armageddon, we'll arrive at a moment when proclaiming the name of Jesus requires a sacrifice, even a significant sacrifice, maybe everything. But wouldn't you rather have Jesus than anything the world affords? I mean, let's take this moment and count the cost, yes. realistically but optimistically. We can place on one side of the scale all the trappings of the American dream and the modern way of living, our riches, our possessions, our comfort, our career, and so on. And on the other side of the scale, place the incredible, unthinkable blessing of eternal life in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
Which one do you choose? Think about it. Be determined that whatever happens when the time comes, and it may not come in your lifetime, but when the moment comes when you have to decide for Jesus or for the world, which is where you live now, count the cost. The Bible says we need to count the cost as if we were building a tower and lest we fall short in the midst of the process. Number two, determined to count the cost and determined to be confident. The wonderful news about living for Jesus is that not only can we experience the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, we can also feel confident in the reality of God's presence right now. Yes. No matter what cost we may pay to follow Christ, we will never sacrifice our connection with Him. The author of Hebrews put it this way, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The confident Christian knows that he stands in a place of security. He cannot be touched by anything the Lord will not allow. The confident Christian can stand tall in the midst of all the things that are going around him. God is enough for any and every situation he will ever face. I love how David expressed this in his Psalms. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Since we have the Lord, we can never be left without a friend or a treasure or a dwelling place. And this should help us feel secure in the moment in which we find ourselves. When we stand in such awe of the living Lord, the lying world loses its power on us. Do what you want to do. The Lord is my confidence. I stand in Him. He's promised never to leave me nor forsake me. So determine to count the cost. Number two, determine to be confident. And number three, determine to be content. Oh, how we need to learn this. I'll finish this message with this thought. Because God will never leave us or forsake us, we can be content with what we have. As the globe spins around us and the worship of wealth will accelerate, the Bible can keep us from yielding to these pressures. There's one incredible secret I want to give you on the authority of Scripture. I can tell you how to distance yourself from a materialistic pure. lifestyle. It's by developing one simple biblical attitude. Contentment. Contentment. Two passages instantly come to mind that you should write down in your notebook. If you struggle with being content, here they are. The first one comes to us from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. And the second is in Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Covetousness is very subtle, folks, because it's a condition that exists in our minds. It's the invisible violation that no one else ever sees. You can have your act together on the outside, but inside you can be agonizing, lusting, and being consumed by the desire to have what someone else has. Coveting is a closeted spiritual crime that if not checked will eventually manifest itself externally. The writer of Hebrews tells us how to replace coveting with contentment. The word for contentment means satisfied, adequate, competent, sufficient. The same term is used in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Someone has said Christian contentment is the God-given ability to be satisfied 
with the loving provision of God in any situation. In other words, wherever we are, whatever we're experiencing, if we know God, we don't have to be worried about what we don't have or what we might have or what we wish we have. We have God. And I'll tell you what, I know people that have got everything the world has to offer and they don't have God and they're empty and they don't know what life is all about and they wish they could find the secret that some of their friends who have very little have found the simplicity of contentment in the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're worried about this. Maybe you say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, I don't think I was born with contentment. It wasn't one of my genes. God didn't give me contentment when I was born. He left that out of the equation. I don't feel satisfied with my life or even with my possessions, and I often find myself wanting more. Well, don't let that bother you because I learned something. Here it is. It's good news, and I want you to listen to this verse, and then I'll point out why it's such good news. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, listen carefully, not that I speak in regard to me, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Let's just stop right there. How did Paul get to be content? He learned. Contentment is a learned attitude. Is that something you grow up with? I don't know any kid who's content. Do you? They always want something they don't have. Something somebody else has. The first time they see something they don't have, they want. But contentment is something you learn as you grow. Paul wasn't born a saint. He didn't come into the world with a vast reserve of contentment. He learned contentment through experience, including both comfort and hardship. He learned contentment by honestly evaluating the value of wealth is the value of his connection with Christ. And he learned contentment through the continual influx and influence of God's Spirit in his life. He seemed to be equally joyful staying in a friend's villa or chained in a Roman cell. You know what some people's problem is? Here it is. Wherever you go, you take yourself with you. You get that one? Contentment isn't outside of yourself. Contentment is in yourself. And it's an attitude that you learn. And when you learn contentment, the pull of riches and all the extra things, money then becomes just a tool. Use it for the kingdom of God. Use it for the basics. Enjoy what God has given you. The Bible wants us to enjoy our life. But if you hoard resources, if your goal is to be the richest person on your street or in your company or in your family, that attitude will destroy you. Learn to be content with what you have. And what you have is the eternal God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Our world's approach to money is troubling. It's alarming. It's the prelude to the tribulation. At 93.1 on the FM dial, this is... studying religion and knowing all about the Bible but failing to believe any of it. They can put many Christians to shame at how many chapters and verses they can recite from memory. But to them, it's just a book of stories. And I think maybe one of the reasons why Judas stuck with Jesus so long was because of the free food and the access to the money bag. Sorry, it's not... It's because everyone's riding. 
associated with the Lord for the wrong reasons. If you stay in that place, you become more than a hypocrite. You become a betrayer of everything that's right and good. The circumstances leading up to Jesus' arrest will demonstrate that. And it's our subject today on Hope from the Word. Hello and welcome to our Friday edition. Friday edition. All this week, we've been looking at the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. But we will also look at his trial leading up to his crucifixion. So let's get started. In a teaching first presented at his home church, Calvary Chapel Marlton, from John chapter 18, here's Pastor Bill Lubkamin. So we're going to move along into John 18 today and take a look at the situation with Jesus getting arrested. Here at the beginning, the first the 11 verses of John chapter 18, and we probably should use the word arrest in a non-technical way because just about everything that they did to him was flat out illegal according to their own laws, also according to common sense. Maybe this would be better termed Jesus's false arrest because uh, those who were doing the arresting didn't have the law on their side and they were arresting him for something that he, for nothing, arresting him for something that he didn't do, which makes it false arrest, I think. It was sort of like what you would have expected in the wild, wild west where they made up the law as they needed it, whatever they needed that week, they made it up. I began looking at this passage here and I began thinking to myself, how much can you say about Jesus getting arrested? I'll probably have to do more than just the first 11 verses. He was in the garden, they came out and arrested him, and that was the end of that, right? Let's go home now. So, uh, but the more you look at the passage here, the more you see a lot of little things jump out at you. If you then read some commentaries and see what other people are saying about it, it becomes even more apparent that there's a lot of interesting things in here. This entire episode is anything but cut and dry, and so we'll try to get out of it when we can, starting in verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Holy Who is Nova. it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had his sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting so off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? These events here that we're looking at happened shortly after Jesus finished his prayer, the prayer that, that's recorded in the previous chapter, chapter 17, and the prayer that we spent several weeks going through. We saw that he prayed for himself, and then he prayed for his disciples, and then he prayed for all believers even into the future, all believers who were believers then, and all anybody who ever would believe going into the future. 
And prior to that prayer, of course, was what we call the Last Supper, and following that, an extended time of teaching recorded in some of the chapters 16 and, and before that. So we have the Last Supper, then we have the teaching, then we have him praying, and then we have him going out to the garden at this point. And his disciples not realizing how little time is left. But Jesus, totally aware of everything that's about to happen to him. There will be no surprises for him. So when the prayer was over, uh, he and his disciples uh, head on out across the Kidron Valley. It says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. This was a valley that was kind of on the north side and on the east side of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was on a mountain, and next to it was the Mount of Olives, and in between was a valley. So they had to go down the valley, come back up the other side. It was at the bottom of the valley flowed the brook they called the Brook Kidron, which was just a little stream in the wintertime, and in the summertime it was dry. But after a heavy rain, it could be a real torrent going through there. At the time Jesus crossed it with Passover approaching, it very well could have been red with the blood of all the sacrifices that were being prepared for Passover. So you can't help but think, as you cross the brook, seeing blood flowing down in that water there because the temple was above them, him thinking to himself about his own blood that was going to be shed very shortly. It would have made an impression on him if it was bloody. The blood of the Passover lambs was shed to remember how the Lord had passed over the firstborn of the nation of Israel during the original Passover back in Egypt after the ten plagues, the Passover, the firstborn, the death of all the firstborn in Egypt, all the firstborn of all the Egyptian people, all the firstborn of every household, all the firstborn of their animals, the firstborn of their flocks, the firstborn of all the firstborn died that night except of the Israelites. Not one was lost because God passed over the Israelites, the Jewish people, and every year celebrating Passover to remember those events. And even here, as Israel was engaging in Passover, Jesus was crucified at that time of the year of Passover. So as they were getting ready to celebrate the Passover there, this ritual, this reminder about these lambs, Jesus himself was about to become the Lamb of God. Because he already was the Lamb of God, but he was about to, by shedding his blood, he was about to take that title upon himself. His very own blood shed for the sins of man. And you have to wonder, in future years, when Passover came around, you have to wonder if the disciples didn't remember these events. He was sacrificed at the time of Passover. We saw the blood flowing down the stream. Just like you and I can remember where we were at different significant points in our life. Like, well, 9-11 is the one example everybody can remember. There's well, not a person in the that? United States of America that can't tell that where they were on 9-11.
you couldn't get a room in the Holiday Inn Express. They were just booked up way ahead of time. So people camped in tents outdoors. And many of them may have been in and around this garden over on the Mount of Olives. Couldn't all fit inside the city of Jerusalem. It would seem likely that there would have been other people most likely camping in this area. And not recorded in John is the time that Jesus spent praying before Judas arrived. And by the way, that doesn't make John's writing any less authoritative or complete or just emphasizing different things. No, I hear but if you look over in Matthew 26, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk you know about Jesus' prayer in the garden. In Matthew, it's really easy to remember, it begins in chapter 26, verse 36, and goes to 46. So it's 26, 36, 46. I like it when the numbers line up like that. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So here's Jesus with his disciples. Judas is gone now, so there's just 11 of them. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He leaves the eight in one place, and he takes the three, Peter, James, and John, and he goes a little further in, and he is sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. Then later on, he went away a third time. They were still sleeping. So that's not recorded in John. We're not going to spend a lot of time with that, other just to mention that the fact when they got to the garden, these episodes of praying and his disciples falling asleep happened three times. So some time passed here between verse 1 and verse 2 of John chapter 18. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas knew the daily routine, and he knew where Jesus liked to spend his time. And this is how and why Judas was able to lead the soldiers and the officials right to the Lord. After spending the same three years with Jesus that the other 11 spent, Judas knew a whole lot about Jesus. Three years. He heard all the same stories. He ate all the same free food. He heard all the same teachings. He saw all the same miracles when they went out two by two. He was one of the team. He was one half of one of the teams of two. It's crazy how that. He experienced all those it. things. His problem seems to be that he moved. really didn't know the Lord. He didn't believe in him. He didn't have faith in him. He knew all about him. But he didn't seem to know him at that personal, intimate level. And there's a lot of people like that today in the world. They know all about Jesus. They can quote chapter and verse. They have degrees even and work in universities uh, studying religion and knowing all about the Bible but failing to believe any of it. They can put many Christians to shame at how many chapters and verses they can recite from memory. But to them, it's just a book of stories, just some things that happen. And I think maybe one of the reasons why Judas stuck with Jesus so long was because of the free food and the access to the money bag. Back in chapter 4, when Mary anointed Jesus with an expensive perfume, this is chapter 12, rather, in verse 4, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. 
Well, that sounds like a noble thought, right? Until you read the next verse. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He was the treasurer. He kept the community money supply, paid the bills and what have you. And he would have liked to have that money in the money bag because he could have helped himself to some more of it. And it seems like that's the business that Judas was in. He was along for Apparently the ride, maybe got the free food, maybe didn't have anything else to do to uh, with his out. time, and he could get some money out of these gullible people. Uh, he may have looked at it that way. They're gullible, they let me keep the money back, I'm gonna help myself. Jesus went to this place a lot. Back in Luke 22, verse 39, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him, as usual. And here it says here, Judas knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Well, this is a, a place where they go a lot. It's one of his favorite haunts. And we all have places that we like to hang out, and, well, our friends probably know where they can find us, whatever it is, time of day or day of the week it is. And this was one of Jesus' favorite places, just to hang out and lay low, and they probably slept in tents there many times and ate their meals there, and they listened to Jesus teach them there. So Judas knew where Jesus was. Of course, Jesus knew what Judas was up to also. See, Judas knew, I bet he's going to go to that place. Now, Judas is thinking Jesus is not expecting him, right? He's going to go there, and we're going to surprise him. But Jesus, he's not surprised. He knows what Judas is up to, and he knew where Judas would go to look for him, and he could have gone somewhere else. He would have gone somewhere else and hid there if he didn't want to get arrested. But he wasn't trying to avoid this. Jesus knew what his father's will was, and he intended to carry it out. You just have to think how rotten it was for Judas to give Jesus up here, and even worse, that he used this intimate knowledge, that he had been intimately a friend, supposedly, this inner circle. Jesus always knew Judas was going to betray him. Certainly the other 11 guys did not. They didn't even know this night what was happening. They thought Judas had gone out to pay the bill for the food. He was a money guy going to go, go pay some bills. Here he was, not only turning in the Lord, but also using this intimate knowledge that he had in order to help him to do so. Was he trying to overthrow Jesus, his whole plan? You know, did he really understand what was at stake here? Starting with his, his own eternity? Or was he just tired of the routine and greedy for money here? Since he stole from the money box, maybe it was the 30 pieces of silver, you know, that really interested him. You look back in Matthew, in Matthew 26, verse 14, is where he made the arrangements. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So he, he didn't have some great, wonderful purpose for what he was doing. He just wanted the money. He wasn't like a true believer where he thought Jesus was wrong and he had to put an end to what Jesus was doing. He's one of the money. He went there. He didn't say, I really agree with you guys, and Jesus is really leading everybody astray, and I'd like to get him to stop it, so I want to help you turn him over. He didn't ask for that. He said, what will you give me? What will you give me if I hand him over to you? Always looking for an angle here. We have this guy always looking for money. I think he figured it wasn't going to cause any harm, maybe teach Jesus a lesson, and uh, 
Maybe Judas thought he could get a little richer at the time when he added it off in his mind. However, he came to this conclusion that it was a good thing to do uh, for a fee, of course. So he came to the grove, Judas did, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So look, after Jesus' times of prayer, there's no doubt in God's perfect timing, this motley crew showed up. Remember, Judas went out first. He taught his disciples, he prayed for them. They came to the garden, he prayed three more times. So there was a significant amount of time that passed from when Judas left to when he showed up here with these troops. And you have to just trust it was the Lord's perfect timing. And Judas shows up with this bunch of soldiers here and these officials, and not only that, they're bringing torches, lanterns, and weapons. So they're ready for anything, or so they think. They're going to the garden on the side of a, a hill at nighttime, gonna have torches so that they can find him. Maybe he's hiding in a crevice or behind a tree or in a ravine or behind a rock or something. So we're gonna be prepared uh, to club him if we need to, and he's gonna have people with him. So we're gonna be prepared to take them down also. It's like a SWAT team almost. The word here for detachment is translated cohort in some translations. It refers to a tenth of a legion. So a legion of Roman soldiers was 6,000 men. A cohort was a tenth of or 600 men. So you have 600 Roman soldiers here plus the priests and the other. You have to wonder what were the soldiers told? Go out and get this troublemaker. He claims to be king. He's trying to depose Caesar maybe. This must have made the Pharisees and the chief priests feel pretty good about themselves. Look at us, how many troops we have. Aren't we something? We're just a legend in our own mind. And you know, they hated the Romans and they hated the Roman troops. But it's pretty funny if your enemy is the other guy's enemy, then all of a sudden you and the other guy are friends, even though you and the other guy may normally be enemies. So they have the Romans on their side and they're feeling powerful here. These Romans are not coming after us. They're working for us here. Aren't we something? <coughs> You will sometimes hear it said, by the way, that power is a means to an end, but don't believe it. Power is the end. And if you follow politics at all, you know, when people get in power, they want to stay in power just so they can have the power. They should take the power and give it to Scotty, because Scotty always needed more power, right? Pink, that one was for you. The flesh yes, Scotty needed more power. power he needs more power! Damn it, Captain! I need more power! Good insight into the Distrust of power is called for. Yes. May we recognize that all power and glory That's why I pink that song. If I can't have love, I want power. With it and use it rightly. We're going through the Gospel of John with Pastor Bill Lukeman on hope from the word. You have a few options if you'd like to hear this again. Either go to ccmarlton.org where we archive our radio programs yeah. or listen to us through the Hope FM app. Yeah. And you can always request a CD copy. A CD. Just call 856-983-1662. Again, that's 856-983-1662. Maybe you've been thinking about visiting Calvary Chapel of Marlton. I've been thinking I need to pee, so can you hurry up? Yes, we are meeting in person. I, I don't need the fact that these people need to be like right here. And we also here. meet in the middle of the week on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. You can also live stream from home or wherever you may be when you visit our YouTube channel at Calvary Chapel of Marlton. For more information, go to ccmarlton.org. And we hope to see you soon.
And before the day is done, we'd like to connect Stop with talking. you, share a praise report, prayer request, yeah. or what you're getting out of this present this series is true. by email. Tell That's them. easy to do at our website, ccmarlton.org, or just call us at 856-983-1662. Our study in the Gospel of John continues next time I have on to pee from the real Word. Bad. With Pastor Bill Lubkamen. Thank you, Pastor this Bill Lubkamen. This program Lube is presented oh. by Calvary Chapel of Marlton. There you go, Calvary Chapel. I gotta pee. Okay. Well, we got one of Are you looking for a way to get back to church? If that's you, we would like to invite you to visit Calvary Chapel Lebanon. We purpose to be a safe, loving community where the Word of God is taught without compromise, chapter by chapter in a casual atmosphere. We are located at 740 Willow Street. Willow! And our Sunday morning services are at 8... You must welcome at Maureen's table. All of our family... Oh, sorry. Find at cclev.com. CCLEV. Come as you are. Children are both welcomed and treasured. And Spanish translation is available to... Yo hablo espanol! Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. 740 Willow Street in Lebanon. Willow! I gotta pee, I gotta pee. I gotta pee. I'm ugly and useless.
tell what you.
right? But that cat actually knows the answer. That kitty dragon actually knows the answer. Do you know what I mean? He actually knows it. And he's protesting that I am scolding him. He's protesting by showing me he knows how to pee with his little pee flick. So how can I, how can I, how can I say no? How can I say no, man? That's not what you do. Because I know him, right? I know his patterns. I know his patterns of showing me up. I Listen, you have to understand, like, the first time he showed me he wasn't going to go, he wasn't going to poop in the litter box because of how messy it is. Now, he's definitely gotten, he wants more space after his old age, okay? He might be showing me he does whatever he wants to do. But I will say this, if up to him, and there was definitely a clean box today, that was, the, that was the thing. There was a clean box. And it was the box that didn't get AP in. So it was almost like he was showing me. Because I, I saw plenty of them. And I've done it each day, right? He literally is peeing like four times a day. He may be doing it, drinking so much, just to show me. The best example of is a good sermon. A good, a good sermon is the best example. I don't know what it says. But I do know. The first time, and I, I, I like woke up, and I didn't clean it, and I had to rush to work, and he pooped right in front of it, and I was like, okay. I didn't even get mad at him. I realized in my my early wake it up haste that this was too long for him. But you know what I asked him? I asked him to wait another eight hours instead of clean it right there. You know what he did? He pooped right in front of my bed. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> And this is me protesting. The next one, listen, the next one was if you do it again, you're going to get poop in your bed. Okay, so I'm telling you, I'm as an individual not going to say, okay, like I'm going to, if I'm going to be living with him and he's going to be living with me, then we're going to have the mutual respect that I'm going to clean the box. So that's my job. Okay? If I'm going to keep him trapped in the house, then my job is to clean that box. Cause and effect, man.
I'm so thankful that Aria and Taronda and Alunia Sarah slept with me last night because it was, I just needed it. I just needed it.
trivia on that song for you. What movie helped make that song famous? Movie in stereo instrumental was used in the 1982 film Fast Times at Ridgemont High, in which it accompanies Judge Reinhold's character fantasy of Phoebe Cates' character removing her bikini top while embracing him. One of the most famous scenes in the world. Well, it's break time, but I'll be back with more about. Topless Rock and more me, not topless, after these commercials. Now, the True Lies thing's great because they used the thing from before and it wasn't Pink Floyd trivia. It was Cars trivia. I know, I gotta pee so bad. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! I listen, even when I'm getting trolled by Pete, I will oh, 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 Riley. In fact, I'll take it as a bastion of, of safety. unsalted, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves, he says, and be at peace with one another. The ancients in those days believed that salt was a pure thing. And it came from the purest thing they knew. And that purest is the sun knew. and the sea, they purest believed were the purest knew. things that it existed. And that salt was a result of that. So what is Jesus saying here? What is he saying? He's saying, have salt that is have a purifying influence within you. Right that is the spirit of Christ. What is the spirit of Christ? Forgiveness, love, understanding. So first of all, our spirit must be the spirit of purity. I want the life of Christ to dictate what I feel. Secondly, is love. What did he say? John 14, 34, 35. He says, I've given you the gift of love, the spirit of love. The spirit of love is to control your life. This is how the world will know that we're his disciples. So I, I have to love that person. Now watch this. You're saying, let me tell you something, buddy. You don't know how I've been treated yet. You don't have people. You mean to tell me I'm to love the other person? Yes. yes. Can you do it without being a Christian? I doubt it. Well, how can I love somebody who's mistreated me so long? By the grace of God. That's it. So first of all, there must be a pure heart. Love. And thirdly, patience. And I want you to look in Colossians chapter 3 for a moment because I'm only mentioning patience, but patience happens to be in this passage a part of the Christian graces. And notice, if you will, uh, what else is mentioned here right around, how it's surrounded with these other ideas and thoughts. Listen, if you will, in the 12th verse of Colossians chapter 3. Yeah. So, as those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bearing with one another bearing. that is you're willing to acknowledge here's what's going on so my spirit must be a pure spirit 
of love and patience and certainly number four is forgiveness what does he say in um, Ephesians and also in, in, in there are lots of verses about forgiveness in the Bible but he says in that fourth chapter the 31st 32nd verses he said be ye kind one to another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you now listen to this we may be mistreated and somebody may not want to have peace and live with us whatever it might be but you and I can never never justify an unforgiving spirit I may not be able to live with a person or, or have business relations with that person, may not be able to be a friend of that person because they have chosen otherwise. But if my heart is right, and I, I can love that person beyond what they do, and I can be patient with them, and I can be forgiving because when I look at my life and you look at your life, look what Jesus has forgiven you for. When he went to the cross, he made it possible for us to be forgiven of anything and everything. How can I hold an unforgiving spirit towards someone when Jesus doesn't hold that against me, when my life has been oftentimes an act of disobedience toward God? I may not like the person. I may not ever associate with them again. I may have no business dealings with them. may not ever be able to be their friend because of their actions toward me, but you know what? Watch this, if I want peace within myself, I have to be sure I have peace with that person. They don't have to have peace toward me. You see, I must be forgiving, patient and loving with a pure heart. And then if the person walks away, I'm not responsible. They choose not to be my friend, not responsible. Choose not to work with me, I'm not responsible. What did I do? I went so far that I did everything in my human godly power and ability and gifts and knowledge and understanding to the point of violating the scripture. That's as far as I could go. Some of you are living in that kind of a situation, circumstance. Some wow. of you are working with people who don't like you and they're sort of after you. And you're trying to figure out how am I to live in this situation? How am I to work in this office with this kind of a circumstance? If you will practice not in your own strength, it's not going to work. By the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, these simple principles, God will make you the victor. He will give you power to overcome in the process of the pain. He will grow you and mature you and bless you in ways you never dreamed of. It is a choice you make. It's a choice. If you value that relationship, give it all you have. If you've done that and it hasn't worked, you're not responsible. You're responsible for the attitude of love and patience and purity and kindness and forgiveness and moving on in your life. Dr. Stanley's message today on In Touch reminded those of us who are believers that while we aren't responsible for how we're treated, we are responsible for how we respond.
was one cent short because of that dime. But there's a dime somewhere. Where 
things began to get comfortable again, it was then that Noah experienced regression in his relationship with God. Do you realize that 80% of people that fell into sin and fail was in their second half of their life? Even David, King David, a man after God's own heart, a man that slew Goliath the giant that was blaspheming David's God. David who who slayed a bear and, and a lion with his hands, and David who was a mighty man of valor who went to battle and slayed tens of thousands. David, who did all of that, it was when kings normally would go back to battle that David said, you know what, I've fought enough battles. I've, I've been on the front lines long enough. I'm just gonna kick it into cruise control. I'm just gonna sit back and hang out. I'll let other people go fight those battles, but for me, I'm just gonna get comfortable in the palace. It was then he saw Bathsheba. Bathsheba, Sheba taking a bath on a rooftop, and it was then that David entered into an affair with that woman, and David was radically affected because he fell into sin. It was for the reason that he wasn't where he should have been on the front lines moving forward and pushing forward expanding the kingdom in the same way we as christians there's a real danger especially for those that have been walking with the lord for a year or two or 10 or 20 or 50. for us to say we're pretty good in our relationship with the lord and i'm just gonna kick it into cruise control you know I, i've served for a long time i i've made an impact i've fought my battles i've been there but now I'm just going to kind of kick back and relax. And when it comes to that point in our lives, there's a true danger, like it was for many people that fell into sin. It was in the later parts of their life when things got more comfortable. Noah, as he's facing the storm, the pandemic that is approaching, the thing that will take the world by storm, literally, and sweep the world away, much like this pandemic has in our world presently. Noah was ready, he was faithful, he was obedient, but after that, there was some serious post-pandemic regression in Noah's life, and I don't want that to be true for your life. There's three things I want us to see from the text today that will really help us prepare to not have post-pandemic regression. Number one, I want us to see from our text the reality of Noah's sin. Let's take a look at our text today in Genesis chapter 9 because Noah, Noah is the guy who built the ark in the middle of the desert for a hundred years because God told him to. This is the guy who was righteous in God's sight. This is the guy who preached for a hundred years faithfully to a world that was rejecting him. He is a man who navigated the storm successfully. This guy didn't complain having to shelter in place for over a year. No complaints ever recorded. This is the guy that came out of quarantine worshiping the Lord, and the first thing he did was have a worship service, the very first act, when Lord there's a Jesus, lot of I other responsibilities, no doubt, Desi. to get done and repopulating the world and planting a garden and everything else, maybe building a shelter. Instead of all of that, the first thing that Noah did was putting God first and worshiping him. 
But watch what happens in Noah's life in Genesis chapter 9. I'll read it to you, beginning in verse 1. It says this, or excuse me, beginning in verse 18. It says this, The sons of Noah who came out of the boat with their father were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We know that the three sons of Noah were Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And along with Noah was Noah's wife and, and his son's wives. And we see that Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Ham, who is the father of Canaan, from these three sons of Noah came all the people who now populate the earth. And after the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. So we see Noah, who was a giant of faith. He was going through some hard times. The flood and preparing for that and world annihilation. But now things are getting back to normal. It's now post-pandemic. And, and Noah has a new job. Like many of you maybe have a, a new job or working in a new career field. And Noah has a new job now. No longer is he a, a cattle herder. <laughs> no longer is he... Uh, taking care of the livestock and the animals. No longer is he a carpenter, which he was for a hundred years as he built the ark. No longer is he an itinerant preacher, which he was for a hundred years as he preached to the world. But now Noah, well, now Noah is a farmer. He's growing a vineyard and he's tending to the grapes and things are going pretty good. You could say business is a booming. The economy is getting back to normal if you're tracking with what I'm saying. And, and the economy's good, and life is good, and things are starting to get back to where things are comfortable and normal. Noah has now a steady income again because he has his vineyard. So inevitably, Noah, well, what he does is he lets his guard down. And Noah, well, because he's growing Grapes. He starts sampling the grapes and he figures out if he mushes the grapes and bottles it and tastes some grapes juice that he left out for a couple of weeks in that bottle out in the sun, well, it tastes a little bit different. And so now Noah is making wine. And we don't know if Noah was the one that really created that. I said that tongue in cheek. But now Noah is doing things that maybe perhaps the world was doing. Now Noah is doing it. Brendan Beeler will share more from his message titled Post-Pandemic Regression. But there's no other people there, so I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like if it's flooded, I don't understand how you came to that. But we'll keep listening to all this. We'll listen to it, Brennan. I have no clue what you're talking about right now, but we'll listen to it because it's from the Bible. And you had a really other good sermon. But this one I don't. Even with your analogies, which I hate, by the way. Special edition Regenerate Snapback app. Again, go to regeneraterradio.com.
children's Bible. You know, talking about <coughs> Bible stories with the kids is so much. It's so funny how much of the reality is edited out of like the little little Bibles that the kids read. There's nothing ever mentioned like that. But Noah, he wasn't a perfect man. Noah, who God said at one time is the most righteous man of all the earth. Now Noah, he's passed out drunk. Hi, little animal. Hi, little animal. Just Noah, kidding. the guy who did so many great things, got to the point where he did this. How? How does that happen? How, how does that happen where Noah, this great godly man, does something like this? I'll tell you how it happens. It's when things start getting better. And we kick our lives into spiritual cruise control. Where we no longer have the same need for God like we once do. Like, God, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to lose my job. I don't know if I'm going to be able to buy food at the groceries because everyone's buying all the bread and toilet paper. And I need to wipe. God, help me. And like all of this face, you know, no paper towels, no toilet paper, but you can buy plenty of napkins. It's strange what happens. It's like when people freak out, you know, the apocalypse is coming, you know. What do they do? Buy all the toilet paper. I saw one meme online. It was hilarious. It, it was a, a zombie apocalypse was happening. And it showed everyone running away from the zombies. I can't holding, believe he still has his toilet paper. We'll be safe now. It's so foolish what happens. But when we go through difficulties, the point is this. We realize our need for God. We realize that. And so we pursue him with greater passion. I just want to understand because when the need for God is quantified as your reality, but then you don't have to worry about toilet paper in the You don't worry about anything. He, he takes care of all your needs. It's when we kick our lives into spiritual Thank cruise Jesus. control. It's when we are most That Wendy's vulnerable. is really trying to pull me. When we just have Cook your own food. good. Well, many people, when you share Jesus with them, they say, I, I, I realize that you need that, but my life is good right now. I don't really need that. Like, I don't like need that. because their life is good, they don't need God. They don't understand the importance of needing God because we are all sinners in need of a Savior. There you go. But when things, are, bad, when things are difficult, we've seen that time and time again, even in recent history in our nation. We saw when 9-11 happened, know. that tragedy Why took place, and yeah. horrible atrocity took place as that attack against our Twin Towers and against the Pentagon took place, as well as another plane in Ohio that crash-landed. We saw... I thought it was in Pennsylvania. I thought it was in Somerset, Pennsylvania. Why are you saying it's in Ohio? I thought it was in Somerset, Pennsylvania. Hello? The Savior. Yeah. But Noah... No longer on guard, things were good, and, and so too See, now how can I believe someone if they can't get their facts right? See what I'm saying? You just got next, dude.
it faster and faster and faster. I wasn't putting myself out there the way I needed to be. I was putting myself out there only the selfish way, not the way for Jesus. the extraordinary. God's plan for your life is better than anything that you could ever think or true. imagine. This is he true. has good thoughts towards you this to give true. you a future and a hope and he wants the best for you better than what you could plan for yourself. And so all we have to do is keep seeking him so we don't find ourselves like Noah, drunk, passed out, drunk, in our homes, Drunk. doing the wrong thing when we should have been doing Drunk. the right thing. The second thing I want us to see from this text today, number two, is the response of Noah's sons. Now let's see it. Yes, Noah failed horribly, but I want us to see how Noah's sons responded. It's verse 22 of Genesis chapter 9. It says, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over the shoulders and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him naked. I want us to see the response of Noah's sons. Ham, he walks into his dad's tent and he sees Noah's sin. We know throughout the Bible that it is a sin to be drunk. And Noah, he wasn't just, you know, a little bit buzzed drunk, but he was drunk drunk, wasted drunk, both being drunk. But Noah, he was head over heels into his sin, passed out. He was naked. And the text alludes to that there was some kind of immorality that was taking place that Noah was caught up in. So what does he do? What does Ham do when he sees his father in this condition? What do you do when you find out someone's sin and their condition? Well, what Ham does is what so many of us do when we find out someone has sinned. He went, and the first thing he does is he goes and tells other people about it. What do you do when you find out someone has failed? Because what Ham did, well, the first thing he did is he wanted to tell some other people and make his father's sin a public matter. He wanted to expose his father's nakedness. And so he did what many of us do. Ham, he went and told his bros. Hey, bros, guess what I just saw? Guess what I just found? Interesting, because I never felt and it talks this about way, the but sins of his at. father. Hi, Mary Bexler, I love others. you. You could say Ham was trying to ham it up. <laughs> he was trying to make a joke and make a spectacle from his father's was failure. He, or maybe he was trying to get on the inside with Shem and Japheth. But maybe he didn't really fit in with those two. And so he was like, hey, I got the inside scoop. Guess what I just found out? Guys, you want to hear the inside scoop? Why do you think me? it's always something bad? It's the same reason why TMZ exists. It's the same reason why so it many is. people want to know the inside scoop about people's it lives. It is gossip, girl. And are so interested in reading what no one else knows yet about people's failures and shortcomings. Yeah. 
Randy, and pray it's a for tendency that each I mean, honestly, this is what I would have said, Brent. I would have said I, I, that's not how I would have perceived that he handled it. And I know you gave two different ways. It's not how I would have perceived it. I would have perceived it as he was going to tell his bros because he didn't know what to do. Okay. Now, I didn't know specifically the immorality thing. I don't know what it is. Interesting. <clears throat> uh, maybe that gave him time, you know, to tell someone else because he couldn't deal with the situation. But you're right. The first thing that should have been done is a prayer.
saved big shopping epic daily deals at Amazon. Ten seconds. So now she's Jeff, you get ten seconds. Maureen the Mariner. <laughs> and with her brand new tableware, everyone. Nah. <laughs> Jeff, I just want you to hear the beeping to let you know that I'm definitely starting it before I even get out of this car, dude. You know what I mean? I'm letting you know. I'm letting you know. Lord Jesus, I pray for Jeffrey. Jeff Bezos. That you just bless him, Lord. Give him a big blessing of you. It's a shame if he would have went up there intoxicated and not and not what you call it in. <laughs> Interesting. Hi mama. Hi, Mama. <clears throat> because I'm always hoping the last time I charge it is the last time I'm going to need to charge it ever. Where is this other device, Mama? Those about to rock. Where's this device? Where's the Taylor Swift device? Did someone steal it? Crazy. It's in my pocket. See how crazy and let, and let Jesus take the wheel. Then you don't have to get crazy. Okay, but you can still change, you can still fluctuate with the new moon, that's okay. And the full moon. I like fluctuating with the full moon, but apparently that is also how babies are. Hi mama, hi mama, hi mama. Look at that moon mama. Look at these moon kitties. Hi, who's this? Is this a Veronicus? Hi, hey, I'm telling you right now, if it's you pissing, by the way, I'm serious. If it's you pissing, <clears throat> let's go. Come on. Get in here. Get in here. We'll come back outside. Come on, get in here. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect Get in here. Hey, listen to me. No, this is what I'm saying to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, St. John. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have scrubbed but bit you. You. If you're causing the pee drama... And I'm not accusing you. 
But I am saying if you're causing the drama, you need to stop. You don't have to be bad to get my attention. You can do good things and I will give you attention too. Just find good things to do. That's it. That's what you have to do. Alice Cooper here to inspire you to what I have no idea, but hey, I'm just a kid from Detroit, moved to Arizona, started a band in high school, and now look at me, talking to you over the airwaves, and you sometimes even listen. I'll have a Cooper's cover later this hour, plus more cool segments, but now it's my pal Bob Seeger. It's his pal Bob Seeger. Kitties, it's starting to get a little cool in here. Do you know what that means? It's gonna be wood time. Look, there's black beans, there's refried beans. I love that thing. Okay, you can have some tuna. I will cook some tuna with this. Okay? I'm having some tuna. Do you hear me? You're not fighting me. I want to see no pee. I appreciate getting to step in pee five times in a row. Who is this porcupine that's fighting me? Who are you trolling? <laughs> Hi, you can have some tuna too. Hey. You can have some tuna too. Everyone's crazy. Everyone's crazy. Now, you need to let me get the dinner prepared first, okay? So patience, please. I love you. I love you. Because the rice has to happen first, okay? Because this is why. Because it takes. First of all, I want to eat with you. How about that? So stop staring at each other. Lord Jesus, thank you for all these kitties. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Allison. Oh. Okay. Rice. 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 Don't forget your order. What's first? Rice. Because, Kitty, this might be what this might be how long it takes to eat. Okay? Because I might have to come home and maybe make rice and tuna for kitties. not going to be an on-demand thing all the time, okay? It's going to be on an as-needed basis at some point. No getting mad at anyone. But if I make enough food in advance, hopefully we should be able to do it, okay? We can work something out so it can be. But we gotta figure it out, and we're nowhere close to near there yet because we don't have the skills. 
No, the problem was I needed to make more rights. Yeah. 
Watch out, you gotta fight them all. Mama's fighting Cenarius, I'm fighting Ranicus. Ooh, spilling tuna on the floor. I want someone to explain to me like that. Don't tell me, don't give me your directions. Like, I don't want your recipe. I need to know how to cook. <laughs> Sorry, Mama. Sorry, Mama. Hold on, let's see if I can plug this in without it getting upset. So we can talk about this cooking. I can see, I can do master class too. Hey, it worked. Great job. Um, my heat is like super heat, so I gotta go low, but my low, from what I can tell, is probably like your medium, so. But I start everything on that really hot, really quick. Mainly because I forget about it until I see it like on fire over here. <laughs> I'm sure putting a top on it would probably be better. I don't know. Sometimes I cook my stuff with a top on it, sometimes I don't. I may still be figuring it out. I don't know. Case. That's great. Oh, it's already too much. This is why you put it on with the top. It might be done. Because then it doesn't splatter. Are you going to pee like a gentleman, dude? Eddie's going to pee in the exact same spot. Hold on, let's get the light so we can see. 
He's in the exact spot. So, okay, I get it. You can do whatever you want with how you pee. He has good stream form, everything. Wow. I can't believe I witnessed that. And he, and he shakes, essentially. Great job. Great job, dude. I'm not blaming you anymore. I got it. It wasn't him. And he didn't want his tuna. I got you. Here, you want your tuna over there? St. John literally give his share of the tuna to Sonorius. So. Okay, I don't need to do that. I do need to do that. I've been trying to figure out what's the best way to make minimum amount of dishes with cheese when you're grating it. But the problem is the cheese grater doesn't Technically natural. Oh, this is a good bowl for it. push too hard so it crumbles or maybe that's just how the cheese functions I don't know I don't know I couldn't tell you anything about food like most people can answer these questions or maybe not I don't know uh, but whatever the reason is I feel these are necessary questions for me to be proficient at cooking that was good though straight into the bowl minimal the thing about cheese grater is you have to wash it and it's just such a, it's like a cow bone. Here, do you want some of this cheese? Hey. 
pepper. <clears throat> or maybe you won't. Maybe you'll just keep eating it. Tortillas. What's the difference with that bowl from this counter or that bowl? It's about four feet. That's the
eating on that rice. And my tummy is so... Maybe I should learn to love this. Yeah, kitty. Let's learn to love this. Learn curious how many cuts you have at the songs. See, you don't want me to be able to hear it with a good quality, because then I can tell your tricks. Someone's not. 
Someone's dumb. Happy. What? I will give you fancy feast. I will give you fancy feast. You were not here for tuna time. Yeah, he's saying you're being too much. Hey, relax. Come over here. Sonarius, would you like some fancy feast? That was a yes from Sonarius. Is this done yet with this rice? I'm ready to eat, so it's done. <laughs> like, like that's the point I'm at. I'm ready to eat, so it is done. Okay. However long that was, that's how long it is. Okay. Get your thing, your wrap that you put in the oven. I don't. Where's the thing? Who am I talking to right now? Oh, you're right there, right here. Sorry. I forgot where I was. Where am I? <laughs> I don't mind, to be honest. I like it. You know what I mean? Because it's time. It's time to just go to Jesus land. With kitties. Hi, kitties. You put that thing on there. What thing am I talking about? The rice. And then the beans on top. And then this cheese in this blue bowl. It's a squarish blue bowl with rounded quarters. Okay. It's. It's. It has the dye of like. Why do I have two spoons? Cause I can never find a spoon, so I just keep, just keep grabbing them. I don't got time to think about where the spoon is. All right, Bible break. Now, you have your own food, you're not gonna be getting on my food. You already got on his food. That's rude. That's rude. That's right, Toronto just got a little butt whooping. Lord Jesus, thank you for this meal. Thank you for these kitties. Thank you for each day holds enough time for everything God wants me to do. Thank you for this fancy piece. Thank you for these stars and this cardboard box and this manna and this iced tea. And I guess these devices, they can go that way. James Bergen, New York Yankees, and <clears throat> Pastor Stephen, and talking to Muslims. Thank you, Jesus. Whew. I feel like I heard it for the first time from him. Cool. Who did you say, Zechariah? We're all over the place. The book of Zechariah. 
Zechariah extorts the Jews to repent. One, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, and then I like to eat it like a, it's like an airplane, like I made a paper airplane, it's pretty good. Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, semicolon, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, comma, and I will turn unto you, comma, saith the Lord of hosts. Wow. So listen, therefore say unto them, so tell your fathers, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, this is what the Lord of hosts said, this is what he said right here. Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, comma, and I will turn unto you, comma, saith the Lord of hosts. He said, he saith. <laughs> That's your intro. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, semicolon, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, colon, but they did not hear nor hearken unto me, comma, saith the Lord. <laughs> Do we need to make that a public statement? That's a taco explosion. Too much taco. Fiasco. <laughs> Can't even eat. I gotta get this done in 30 minutes. Your fathers, where are they? Where are they? Italicized are they? Question mark. And the prophets, do they live forever?
my words and my statutes which I commanded my servants, the prophets, <clears throat> did they not take hold of your fathers? Question mark. And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, comma, according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. statutes which I have commanded my servants the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. <clears throat> Why wouldn't we want it his ways? Hmm? Why wouldn't we want it his ways? Why would we want judgment on us the way that we have judgment on us? See, I guess. Hey, look, it's our friend, Colon Guard. Yes, I'm Colon Guard, a prescription colon cancer screening option for people 45 plus at average risk. I like his yes, it means so much. Don't wait, it's more treatable when caught in early stages. Tell me more. Colon Guard is non invasive and it's used at home. It detects altered DNA in your stool to find 92% of colon cancers. 92%? Yep, even those in early stages. This was seen in a clinical study with patients 50 and older. of the horses upon the fourth and twentieth day of the eleventh month which is the month Sabbat in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah the son of Berechiah the son of Iddo the prophet saying I, when was the first one the eighth month second year of Darius wow and he just tells you the word Wow, saying, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, comma, and he stood among the, myr the myrtle trees that were the talcites in the bottom, semicolon, and behind him were there 
red horses, interesting comma, speckled and white, where there was a town size. Then said I, er, then said I, comma, O oh my Lord, comma, what are town size these, question mark? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, comma, I will show thee, shew thee what these be, or town size be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees said, answered and said, These are they, italicized, are they. Is this the man myrtle tree and the red horse? Yeah. These are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. Who said? Oh, the trees are. Okay. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and, comma, behold, comma, all the earth sits still, comma, and it is at rest. Then the angel of the Lord answered, I guess it's the horses. Are they talking about horses? Is there like the horses? Oh, the red horses, speckled red and white. And the man's talking about the horses. Okay. Wow. Okay. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, Comma, O Lord of hosts, Comma, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which thou hast indignation these threescore and ten years? And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with, or excuse me, talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, comma, saying, comma, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. But see, they think it's indignation. It's not. He wants them. Like, isn't that the problem? Everyone thinks God's mad at him. He just wants them. <laughs> I am jealous. That's what it is. He's jealous. He's jealous for Jerusalem, for Zion, with a great jealousy. And I'm very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, colon. For I was but a little displeased, comma, and they helped for the affliction. <laughs> Therefore, thus saith the Lord, semicolon, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies, Colon, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. Interesting. Colon, my house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, comma, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. You want to be on the good side of that line. <clears throat> Cry yet, comma, saying, comma, thus saith the Lord of hosts, semicolon, my cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, semicolon, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, comma, and shall yet choose, choose Jerusalem. Division of four horns on the four smiths. Interesting. I never heard of this. Then lifted I up mine eyes, comma, and saw, comma, and behold, four horns. This is still the same vision, right? Okay. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, comma, what be italicized these? Question mark. And he answered me, comma, these are the horns, italicized are, which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Four horns. Interesting. And the Lord shewed me four carpenters. 
Then I said, what come these to do? Question mark. And he spake, saying, Come on, these are baptized the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. Colon. But these are come. Interesting. But these are come to fray them, comma, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, comma, which lifted up their thousand horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. Interesting. Interesting. That was a Bible break in a in a cooking segment in a on the road again, but afterwards, kitty time. See what I'm saying? And some crazy inception. Like, you're talking about things I'm talking about. I'm talking about being in that experience at that time. And everything. That's how far down the rabbit hole I was in Bible land. And it's good. Wow. Yeah, I don't know why anyone likes it here. I say that full well knowing it's going it's gonna be some Star Trek time here in a second, huh? Huh? Well, let's go back to Alex Cooper there first. We were literally just talking about horses in the Bible. Can you do you understand? And then he said that horse latitudes. Do you think Alice Cooper is trolling? Because I told you I would show you some. That is one right there. Okay. And it's a weird song. Interesting, right? And this is a, oh, this is a closet classic. I was say, it's not a Cooper's cover. I love the closet classic. And he did it on a closet classic? That's like 10 ways of inception right there. Like, I'm serious. That was a lot of shows. And it was like, the shows like were in and out. Like, in the intro and the after. Like, when I thought there was a... We went back to the normal one. No, 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 no. We just came back full circle. That's how. That's how bad the normal one is. Why would I want to stay there? But honestly, if I read more Bible than that, maybe they're watching to see who's one, who's I'll remember to do. 
There was one that was somewhere in Hebrews, and the other one was like Ephesians 6 colon 10, 5 colon 10, something like that. It's like I just keep getting trolled over and over and over. <laughs> I don't know how you did that so well. <clears throat> Can I get in here or no? Am I supposed to play the piano first? Why would I put it in a taco? Like, I'm not craving the flour that much. Just put the slop in a bowl. And give me a spoon, you know what I mean? the next one, huh? I always get to hear this song. What are you talking about? Seconds ago. If I can open the swish of sweets. Okay. We're gonna go right into a piano time. What do you think, Sonorius? Can we do it with those teal lenses, though? I really like the teal lenses. Okay, we use the dark blue ones. That's stinky. 
It's funny though, people like the other ones. No kidding, you like the other ones.
Amen. It was a good day, right? It was a good day. Do you want one more hour of, of dorm and uh, Star Trek with Alice Cooper mixed? Why not? Why not? Because I can count it like it's being on the clock, right? <laughs> Why shouldn't it be? Listen, if I have to tolerate these kids on dorm, okay, and I have to love them with the loving kindness of Jesus, okay, then that, if Jesus is my business... Jesus is my business, why wouldn't he be? Okay, kitty, it's time to get out of the chair. It's time to get out of the chair. It's time to get out of the chair. Could you imagine? Could you imagine has, having to listen to that all day? It sounds like torture, huh? That sounds like torture. Listening to that all day is actually torture. Do you understand that? Like, for the normal person that doesn't have Jesus in their life, that is trolling. Scenarius, let's go. Scenarius. <laughs> and we already had the piano time in it, but we didn't push it. Oh, we didn't. Oh, sorry, Scenarius. I forgot you were there. I forgot I never posted that. Oops, I never posted it. Just sat on scenarios. I can't believe I never posted that. Oops. We're quiet. I can't listen to it anymore. I don't want to listen to a doctor. Buzzer recommends updating your password every 30 minutes. Here we go. Update the password every 30 minutes. Update the password every 30 minutes because the brain's burnt. Of what used to be called 
a con game. Well, if you'll study data. Sir, do you believe Arger is, to use the vernacular, a con artist? Yes, I do, Data. And I believe it is our job to out-con the con artist. Sir, I must point out that the Ventoxians did have 1,000 years of peace and tranquility, as promised by Arger. We can only speculate what happened on that planet a thousand years ago. Maybe a Ventaxian leader saw the destruction of his society at hand, and he conceived this contract of Ardra to motivate change. Or maybe there was an Ardra of some sort who was the basis for this mythology. Who knows? The point is that somehow a fundamental theology was created which transformed this society, but in the process of change, created this fear which has been passed down through generations. Data, from your own experience of performing Ebenezer Scrooge, you're aware how fear can be a very powerful motivator. Indeed, sir. In the story, the spirits used fear to motivate Scrooge to reform his character. And in the hands of a con artist, fear can be used to motivate obedience, capitulation, the exploitation of innocent that is what I believe has happened here. I intend to prove that. I need to find a loophole. Some way of challenging the validity of this contract. So the language of the contract seems carefully chosen to avoid any loopholes. Check it again, Mr. Data, and check every Ventaxian legal precedent for the last 1,000 years. We'll talk again in the morning. I sir.
Okay, so this is what it is. Dr. Picard, or Captain Picard, he thinks this lady is bluffing by how much power she has because this this lady just came down and was like, I'm going to control your whole world now. And he thinks there's a limit. Yeah, and she's trying to base it all off of eyesight. Sorry, I'm talking too much. Got him. I don't know which one are you, Tahaka. Sorry, I didn't even know. It's a ram, so I'd like to feel it out. I like to see how much I can take, especially since I didn't play a uh, foul step for a minute. I like to go the boomerang. I like the hammer. Oh, look at that! 
synced up in our bird form. Run away! <laughs> <laughs> nah, I mean, they don't even, even that sound is sort of 
play for. Someone try to beat these, is that why we're down 11%?
I remind you if you're under oath. Nerd kid. No doubt at all.
of the control turret. Magic, literally, by the blink of an eye. Centuries-old technology. An implant which permits the movement of her eye to choose and activate each illusion. Margaret once told us that she is known by many names, right? At least in that, she was being honest. A crew have admitted that she is known by 23 aliases in this sector alone. You had no right. Deceiving innocent people with her petty schemes for years. Ben Sachs, too, must have offered her the greatest opportunity of her nefarious career. She learned of the myth of Ardra, studied it, and so expertly played on your fears that your people were ready to virtually surrender to her. Oh, under the circumstances, I believe it is only fair that I'm released the Ventaxes from their obligations. And I will let them keep the peace they have. And I will just be on my way. With the evidence we draw, the contract is hereby dissolved. This arbitration is adjourned. Thank you, Captain Picard. You saved our lives. No, Garrett. As I tried to tell you, you saved our own lives a long time ago.